Well, brothers and sisters, we come through message 14 in the book of Hebrews. We come to a difficult few verses. Verses often misunderstood in the history of the Christian church. Excuse me. I pray that we would understand what the writer is teaching us and that we would cling to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ for salvation. Because the hope is not in ourselves and what I can do and what I can trust in what I can merit. I think this is the key to understanding these difficult verses that if you trust yourself for salvation, you have no hope of success and completion. But if you rest on Christ, as Romans 8 said to us, as Paul read, that it's the work of God and nothing in creation, not man's will or the devil can separate you from the love of God, that you'll be comforted today with hope in Christ. As we look at this, I want you to think of these verses and don't take them out of context. These verses have to be understood in the whole chapter, in the whole book of Hebrews, according to the principles of the New Testament, the teaching of the whole Bible. We often get into trouble when we take a verse and we apply it out of context. We try to nitpick the particulars without relating to the general principles of interpretation. If you look at these verses and you just take them at face value and not in the general scope of the revelation of the whole Bible, of God's work in redemption, God the Father planning, God the Son accomplishing, God the Spirit applying and then it's easy to say what if I fall away but the scriptures are clear that the people of God is elect what Jesus says he calls his sheep sheep 
are not lost. In John 17, in that great prayer, Jesus said, All that you gave me, I have not lost any of them. The only one was the son of perdition, Judas, which was not a true convert of Christ, but part of the visible community of God. In John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. The sheep hear my voice and follow me. And I give my sheep eternal life. Jesus did not say, I give my sheep a little bit of hope and then I'm going to take it away and you're not going to have an eternity with me. Eternal life and abundant life in this world and eternity. So keep these principles in mind. And my basic point here is that in the visible church, the, the group of people who call themselves Christians locally, corporately, around the world, in that group are people who are not true believers. They're false converts. And false converts often fall away into what is called apostasy, which is a, a total abandonment of Christ. We'll talk about that more. But the false convert in the visible church is on extremely dangerous ground. Now I say, in the world, there are people who just reject the gospel. We see that everywhere. We see that in our families, in our communities, on 69th Street. No, this is nonsense. Just shut up. I don't care. They have no pretense of believing because they're dead in their sins. Psalm 7 says they're wicked and the Lord hates them and will judge the wicked. But the false convert in the visible church pretends to know Christ, may come and pray, read the Bible, come to church on a regular basis, 
may have been baptized, join the church, even partake in the Lord's Supper by outward appearances. They're Christian, but inwardly they still have a nature that's not new. They're not new creations in Christ. They're basically trusting their own merit, their own goodness, their own righteousness. But they look good on the outside. There are many, unfortunately, in our churches who are like them. They can be children who have grown up in the church, joined the church, went to youth group, but they're not in Christ. Their conversion is false. Some people who are adults do this because they think they want to be religious and spiritual. And they think going to church, they think the Bible and morality is good. But in reality, they don't want to turn from sin because they love their sin. They don't come truly to Christ. So, I think what the writer is talking about are people who are part of the visible church but are false converts. John, in 1 John chapter 2 said, there were people like that who left us, but they left us because they weren't truly part of us. In other words, they were there for Christian functions but they were not in Christ. They were still dead in their sins and trespasses. What a dangerous state to think you're in God's kingdom, to think you're reconciled to God, but in reality, you're pretending and your faith is not true. The writer says, it's impossible to renew these people. Verse four, he says, they were once enlightened that means 
some understanding, some intellectual understanding of the doctrines of the Bible and Christ, some knowledge of truth has been shown to them. The person who comes to church and hears the scriptures will gain some of that. Most of the commentators that I read think this means this person had some degree of head knowledge about the scriptures and about Christ. Some degree of spiritual enlightenment. And they have tasted the heavenly gift. In other words, they benefited by the worship and fellowship with a group of true believers. They felt something of love from these believers. They felt something about the worship service. But still, they're not in Christ. Some commentators think tasting the heavenly gift could be they've tasted of the Lord's Supper, the bread and wine. But it's just mere bread and wine. It's not a means of grace to them. And he also says they become partakers of the Holy Spirit. This is a difficult phrase. I don't think it means what Paul implies in Galatians. To be a Christian is to be, have the indwelling presence of the Spirit. I think this means that these people in the visible church are benefiting by the spiritual power that Christ pours on his church. The gifts used by the church and they see and feel something of the power of God. In Mark 16, Jesus told the apostles, I'm going to heaven, but I'm going to give my spirit, and my spirit will enable you to do many things. And Mark said that the church did many wonderful things. Because Christ was with them. The false convert sees this and feels this, but it doesn't mean they have the presence of the Spirit in them. The true Christian has the Spirit and is not an orphan from God. You know, back in the time of Moses and Aaron, 
Moses did miraculous signs to show to Pharaoh the power of God. And the Egyptian magicians could duplicate some of what he did because of the power of demons, of Satan. Jesus said in Mark 13, he warned the apostles, trouble's coming, the temple will be destroyed, you'll be arrested, you'll be imprisoned, but the Spirit will give you the words to speak, but false prophets, false messiahs will come too. Don't listen to them. They'll lead people astray. They'll be able to do miraculous things. But they're not true. They're not me. They're false. So to taste and partake of the Spirit, the false convert can see wonderful signs but not truly have the Spirit. And they've tasted the good word of God. Verse 5, the powers of the age to come. They benefit from the preaching and the teaching of the word. They may order their lives. They may find counsel for their marriage or instructing their children or in business practice. You know, people around the world get mad when Christians talk about the Ten Commandments. But you know, the Ten Commandments if practiced even by unbelievers are beneficial. Isn't it beneficial to society if people didn't murder or steal or lie or covet or commit adultery? Now, the world gets mad about that, but they could taste the goodness of the Word of God by saying, yeah, God's Word's good. The Ten Commandments are good. But still, they're ears of the Word and not doers. The Word impacts them often intellectually. They may have sound doctrine, but where's the practice of faith? They see something of the power of God, the promise that Christ will be preached across the whole world, transform the world, build his church and his kingdom, the glory of God. But there's still 
false converts. And let me remind you that Mark 4 and Matthew 13 tell us Jesus said when the word is preached four things happen. For some people the seed the word like a seed bounces off the hard path. It's eaten by birds. Jesus said that's like the person hears the word. It does nothing and Satan just comes and tempts them anyways. For some people the word is received for a bit but when there's persecution and suffering they turn away. I liked Christ for a bit but no, I'm not prospering, I'm not well, I'm suffering, people are upset, I'm getting trouble, no more Christ, I'm going back to something else, or I'm going to try another religion. We hear this all the time. I tried Jesus for a couple years and it didn't work. So now I'm a Buddhist. Now I'm a Muslim. Because they like that merit-based order. Do this, do that. And they seem this to believe it that they'll get some type of peace. But they're rejecting Christ. But they're like the rocky soil. Liked it for a bit. But no, they don't persevere. In the third category, the word is preached. But the soil is full of thorns and weeds that choke out the good plants. And Jesus said, that person is the word of God, but the cares of the world choke it out. So they might, I like church. I like to work. But you know, I got to work on Sundays. I got to have two jobs. I got soccer practice for my kids on Sunday morning. What time is the Eagles game or the Phillies? I can't go to church. I've, I've got bills to pay. I can't trust Christ. I have to find a way to make money even if it's illegal. The world, worldliness, the cares of the world rule their lives. And Jesus said, for those three categories, those are dangerous crowds. They don't bear fruit. They don't show evidence of true conversion. And that's dangerous for someone to die in those states. 
as opposed to the last soil, where Jesus said, they hear the word, it changes their lives, it impacts them, and they produce fruit 30, 60, 100 times. So they don't just hear it. But the word of God convicts, changes, empowers. And they they mature in Christ. So remember, in the earlier part of chapter 6, the author said, you have to move on. You have to mature from the basic principles of the faith in Christ. True converts should be growing out of being babies, the toddlers, the teens, the young adults, to old mature. They don't stay in the basics, but as they hear the word of God, they grow and mature. But the false convert does not grow like that. Because they don't have new life in Christ. A person without life does not grow. The seed has not sprouted, therefore does not build fruit. So how do we know? The false convert bears good fruit. I mean, the false convert bears bad fruit or no fruit. The true convert produces fruit in keeping with his repentance. Now, verse 6, this troubling verse, it's often misunderstood. They fall away. You cannot renew this person. It's sad. It's a hard truth. We don't like it too much. But this is what the, the scriptures are saying about the false convert that moves into apostasy. Now, Let's say there's a person in the church thinks he's a Christian, prays, tries to read the Bible, but deep down, he's not a new person. His heart has never been changed. I think in the long run for that false convert one of two things will happen let me tell you a story 2016 I went to the Super Bowl outreach 
in San Francisco was sports fan, fan outreach preaching at the Super Bowl all over the hundreds of thousands. There was a young girl. I say young. She's young to me. She's about 25. And she was talking. She said, I grew up in the church. I was active. I went to youth group. I went to Christian college. But you know something? A couple years ago, the word of God challenged me. And I realized I didn't believe it. I was a false convert. I loved my sin. And I didn't love Christ. By God's grace, the work of God's spirit, she repented and called upon Christ and was truly converted. The false convert may one day repent and truly believe. But the second thing is for many false converts they become disillusioned with Christ with the Bible with their state in life how hard Christianity is and all that and because they have no life they fall away so they either repent and believe or what he says here they're gonna fall away into what we call apostasy which means a total abandonment and hatred of the christian faith and of christ it's not an indifference to Jesus. Yeah, I, I tried church. That wasn't for me. The unbeliever will, may say that. The apostate goes more than indifference. The apostate, the apostate gets bitter and angry and spiteful and hatred toward the things of Christ and God. And you'll see that. People will say to us on 69, you shouldn't be preaching this way. I'm offended. This is not Christianity. This is not what Jesus did. Because they turned their back on Christ with bitterness. They've moved from pretending and falsity to hatred and total and enemy and enmity toward God and the things of Christ. And the writer says they cannot 
be renewed. They repent. This is our truth. It's a sad truth. Because their hearts are hard. Their eyes are closed. They're blinded to the truth of the gospel. And he goes on to say, they crucify Christ. In other words, they're saying, Jesus isn't sufficient. His death, his life, his resurrection isn't good enough. And to say that, there's no hope because there's no other saving message. They're not going to say, I was wrong. I want to believe on Christ. They've moved toward a total bitter rejection of the gospel. It can't be renewed. You know something? This is saddening. I think all of us know people who have done something like this, who have gone to church for maybe years, but all of a sudden turn the back, refused to repent, went into some sin, left her wife, committed adultery, started stealing, whatever. And maybe the elders, pastors, talk to them and they say, nope, I'm staying in my sin. They're not going to repent. They've moved into a state of apostasy. It's sad. It's hard. But if someone receives word and is willing to repent, then we have hope that God's Spirit could grant them first time new life. We have a friend named Jack Miller. He was a great church planner and evangelist. And uh, he and his wife took a trip to Mexico with their 18-year-old daughter. Growing up in the church, seemed to be a Christian. Down in Mexico, she said, Mom and Dad, I've had it with Christianity. I met a man. I have a lover, I'm going with him. What? You know, how can you do that? To come back to Philadelphia. And uh, she has a series of boyfriends and they get worse. Finally, uh, the next boyfriend, what's his name? Angelo. Yes, Angela, he's the worst of all. Yeah, they don't like him. 
and they, but they're like, no, I don't want Christ. And they're like, what do we do? Is Barbara an apostate? So they prayed for her, prayed for her. They learned to pray for a lost person. And they had one of the elders go talk to her in private for like two hours. And he comes back, Jack, Rosemary, I have good news. I don't think she's an apostate. I just don't think she's ever been a Christian. She's just lost. And they're like, oh yeah, I know how to witness to the lost. I know how to pray for the lost. And they did. And both her and Angelo were converted. This is like 45 years ago. Angelo's been a pastor for years. You know. So don't stop praying and witnessing. But when someone is totally embittered, understand that, that if they're in apostasy, they can't be renewed. They won't be. They never had faith. And their hearts are. How can we discern that? I don't know. Mark and I, as elders, have to act with wisdom to talk to somebody to pray with somebody you may have like a a child who just doesn't want to hear it but maybe it's just because they've never been a Christian so there can be hope so we don't necessarily stop but when a person vehemently denies Christ that's troublesome that's dangerous and you know I bring this up because we hear this all the time this guy wrote Christian books and now I'm no longer a Christian this guy started the church and was a pastor. I've left Christianity. We could probably think of people. We see this in the news. Sometimes they're well-known people. True apostasy is dangerous because they can't be renewed. There is judgments promised for both the unbeliever, the false convert, and the one who goes into apostasy. And notice 
that they can't do it because the work of Christ, they've rejected. Christ cannot be re-crucified for sin. And the apostate puts Christ to shame. They're ashamed of Christ and his work. And he gives by illustration in verses 7 and 8 how God provides the seeds, the water, the increase of the plants. In this analogy, the writer shows that good seed produces fruitful plants. It's a blessing unto the people. But bad trees and bad fruit come from bad trees. And guess what? They're gathered up and burned in the fire. Jesus said something similar in the Sermon on the Mount. John the Baptist said something similar in his sermons. So the warning in the church to unbelievers, yes, who never had the gospel, but to the false convert who thinks he's okay, and to the apostate, God will not wink at it. There is a judgment of God in this life and when Christ returns. So brothers and sisters, a couple hard verses, but again, the general principles of scriptures, Christ's work is sufficient for his people. He loses none of the elect, none of his sheep. But the challenging question, what if I feel troubled? Because we all have struggles, temptations, doubts, failures, sins, struggles with doubt, assurance. But we go back to Christ. We go back to Christ. Where did God the Father put you? He made you a branch in the vine. Abide in the branch, in the vine, and you'll bear fruit. Where are you? In Christ, stay with Christ. Find your rest in Christ. And we're going to look at the rest of the chapter coming weeks. But I want you to, I want to say 
that the interpretation by some that this is true Christians losing their salvation is not correct. This is the false convert and the apostate falling away from the visible church because in verse 9 the writer says beloved we see better things of you and the word beloved is always used of the true believer the true saint the true person in Christ God is not unjust you'll remember what's been done in your life he's saying have hope because I'm calling you the people of God the beloved sheep you're not like these people of verses 5 and 6 who are falling away you're in Christ and there's good things for you he says and we're going to look at some of that more detail in the next sermons but also I want you to read this chapter read it a couple times because part of the key to understanding this is that the writer says the truth of this salvation of God keeping his people of their perseverance is found it was true for Abraham it's true for Moses it's true for David that they didn't see the completion of the promise they were kept by God by his grace and the writer says there are two immutable truths mentioned in this passage this is the key to understanding this chapter God through the Spirit says this is true your salvation is true because I God of whom there's none greater swore a covenantal oath and I cannot swear by anything in heaven and earth by anything created by any other God I am the true and living God I swear this oath by my character and my attributes my oath is true Abraham what I said to you I will make you a great nation I will bless you and through you you will bless all the nations of the earth through your one seed Christ I swore it God said it it's true because God this chapter says 
can't swear by anything else but himself. And to back that up, a couple of verses later, he says, And God cannot and does not tell a lie. God is true. God is faithful. It's not like the federal government that makes treaties and breaks them. Ask the Native Americans about that, right? God is true. He does not lie. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Jesus said, I know my sheep. I give them eternal life. Jesus said, he who believes has everlasting life. So believe the truth here. Two immutable facts that prove the truth, the promise to the true church, the true believer. But there's warnings here for those who are hypocrites who pretend to be Christians and warnings about falling away. But for us, again, beloved, we see better things for you. Please read this chapter. Let this chapter impact your life. And uh, this is a great time to listen to the scriptures by the Spirit to ask God to examine your life. What do I need to apply this to in my life? Perhaps our sins I do need to repent of. And I want the third point, be assured, Christian, that the promises of Scripture show you a true salvation. If you're in Christ, despite troubles, temptations, doubts, the scriptures promise you eternal life. And so we're simply called to the truth, the faithfulness, the humility, immutability of God and, and of Christ. Now, I have something challenging I'd like to give you the read. I printed out five copies, so I pass them around. I'll set one aside for Jamal, like one for you and Mark. So don't read them now. But this article comes from a Baptist preacher 
seminary student. It's written on a website called Gospel Spam. They write many good sound articles. They write uh, movie reviews. This article, this person wrote, you might be a false convert if, and he has some like 40 points. Why? Because the false convert bears bad fruit because he has no life in Christ. The true convert produces good fruit. It may not be always ripe and, and is significant or is abundant, but the good tree produces good fruit. Now, I added a couple points to it and a couple scripture verses. So what I added is in brackets, but I just feel like you in the coming weeks, just read through this article. Think about what some of the point is saying from scripture that, you know, and you might see this. I think, I think everybody here is a true believer, but you might see this somebody and say, wow, this person's on dangerous ground. I need to pray, speak to them. But, you know, he says things like, you might be a false convert if you don't want to go to church on Sundays and be with the people of God. You might be a false convert if you want to go live with your boyfriend or girlfriend and commit fornication or adultery and say no to repent. You might be a false convert if you don't want to work and you want to steal. You know, he lays out some pretty strong terms, but I'm not asking you to like read this and like, whoa, be overwhelmed by this, but I think he, he put a lot of thought into a troublesome issue that there are people in the visible church who need to be warned to repent and truly believe. Father, thank you. These powerful scriptures. Thank you for these warnings. Help us to examine our and live according to scriptures in repentance and faith. Help us to preach the gospel, to warn people, to preach the law and the grace, and to proclaim the good news of Christ because there is life, salvation, forgiveness, righteousness, in Christ. May each of us look to Jesus, cling to Jesus, abide with Jesus. Amen. Thank you.